You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers, from faith leaders to academics to artists, to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honored to welcome Colorado-based Reverend Gregory Toole, an ordained minister with Centers for Spiritual Living, who's the founder and spiritual director of Somseva and who is currently serving as the interim minister at the Santa Fe Center for Spiritual Living. Gregory, welcome. Thank you very much, uh, Rabbi Neil. So that's a, that's a very impressive resume that you've got there. So let's start with the Centers for Spiritual Living. What are they? What are they hoping to achieve? Mm. Well, the vision is a world that works for everyone. And uh, our founder, Ernest Holmes, uh, back in the 1930s, founded what was then called the Church of Religious Science and now is called Centers for Spiritual Living. Uh, and it's really a synthesis of the world's religions and philosophies where Ernest Holmes wanted to distill uh, what are some core uh, universal spiritual principles uh, that we can take from that in practice. And so he originally wasn't even trying to create a church. He originally said you could stay in your religion that you're in, and here's a way that you can even practice it in a stronger way by just paying attention to some principles. I mean, that's a, that's a very big shift from creating a group of differing religions coming together to creating – I mean, is it a separate religion as, or a separate church? It has kind of become a religion and a church because people saw it. This is my practice. This is my religion. Uh, but we do have people who come in who are Buddhist and still consider themselves Buddhist or people who are Jewish and still consider themselves Jewish. So uh, it is a church for many people. And at the same time, it's kind of – I see it as an umbrella – uh, where you're on a spiritual journey, you're on a spiritual path, and here's a safe place uh, where you don't really have to say, I believe this or I believe that. Uh, it's really like, here's some principles, here's what Ernest Holmes taught us, and what do you believe? What's what's your path? So, so people might have differing, unlike uh, many religions, people might have differing views, uh, sync, uh, little idiosyncrasies of how they see things. Well, it's definitely not. I mean, in Judaism, the, the, <laughs> the, from my perspective, the differentiation in different people's views is enormous. Ah, yes. So you mentioned the idea is set up to create a world that works for everyone. Yes. What does that mean? Can you go into a little bit more of what that means? I mean, because works for everyone is a very ah. interesting phrase. So what Yes. And we we debate that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and we play so it's really a vision that really holds up uh, each person as having value and wanting each person to really fulfill uh, step into their what we call spiritual magnificence. So fulfill their unique divine purpose on, on this planet, if you will. Uh, so we really see each person as being a unique way, uh, uniquely made by the divine, by the creator, uh, uniquely emanating. And so how can this person fulfill who they are? How can every person live in peace? How can every person 
you know, be free of hunger and poverty and those sorts of things. Spiritual magnificence is a wonderful phrase. <laughs> it's not often you hear people in religion saying, you're magnificent. Ah, uh, we right? often will say it in our sense. Really? Yes. That's a, that's a very interesting, positive, empowering phrase, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So um, how can each person find their own spiritual magnificence, especially if they're coming from differing paths. Yes. What does it mean to be spiritually magnificent if, let's say, since you mentioned before, you have a, a Buddhist in the community and a Jew in the community, won't their understanding of spiritual magnificence be very different? Yes. And spiritual magnificence, I think, really is our individuality. It's really mm. the, indiv- the way we are uniquely expressing. And so we really place a lot of value on uh, what is your gift? Why are you here on the planet? What are you here to give? So it really is a very unique thing. And so it's not really something where we're trying to make it one thing or another. It's like, what's your, you know, you were made in a very unique way. Uh, your gifts, your talents, your skills, even your flaws, uh-huh. right, are so uniquely put together in such a way that you are here to, to serve and give to humanity and give to all of life something really unique. So how, you know, discover that. I'm hearing a very strong strand of individualism, mm. which is interesting because that's different to a lot of other faith communities, which are more about the person in community. Yes. So how does that work? I'm, I'm really interested about the because if you're if if each person is finding their own spiritual magnificence, their own unique identity and purpose, how how do they do that within the context of community? I guess. Yes, I, I love that question, and one might say that that might be something that we maybe have been faulted for, uh, in the sense of of maybe a little bit too. Uh, much about the individual. Uh, But I think we're coming around now uh, because we're much more about service and much more about how do we serve our world than we've ever been before. Because it used to be very much about, hey, can you manifest what you want for your life? Right. Uh, At least for many people. And I think we're really coming around to now that you've learned how to, you know, serve your needs, how do you now you know, that's great. But now how do you now really give to the world? And so a world that works for everyone really fits into that. Okay, yes, we're empowering each individual, but really to be of service to others. That's really where it's at. And I I do wonder if you need the service in order to find your own spiritual magnificence anyway, if you need to find yourself anyway. So therefore, it's interesting to hear that that's coming in because we can only fully manifest ourselves in relationship to the other yes and so that therefore i would say we need that some sense of service yes i agree yes and and we've always had service as a component to being part of the spiritual community right and now i think what is shifting is service to the world. How can we be of service to our communities and to the world? We've been a little, in my opinion, a little bit insular in a way. <laughs> Interesting. So um, so then what distinguishes the Center for Spiritual Living from a church itself? Is it, no, I mean, is there set liturgy? Are there specific rituals or is it more about personal development? Mm-hmm. How does it, What I mean, it, it almost sounds like you haven't mentioned God yet, um, right? So, so therefore, what's the, what's the core that holds everyone together? Is that different to a church or is it actually similar? Mm. 
we used to be called Church of Religious Science, and if you came to one of our centers, we have a Sunday service that very much looks like a church service. Right. Uh, it doesn't necessarily feel like a church service in terms of the message because the messages could be very different. Uh, one day a speaker might be bringing in a Buddhist teaching, another teacher might be bringing in a Christian teaching, huh. uh, but it's all still has some core principles uh, involved. And our concept of God is both as uh, imminent, uh, meaning right where we are, as well as transcendent. So we, we, our phrase is, God is all there is. So it's not like God out there, but God within everything. God is everything that's unfolding. Interesting. It sort of reminds me from my tradition, Heschel, Abraham Joshua Heschel, mm-hmm. to, uh, who wrote um, in God in Search of Man, he wrote, um, God is either supremely important or not important. Mm-hmm. And, and supremely important in terms of being involved in everything, however we understand that. So yes. interesting. So um, you mentioned Samseva as well. So where, what is Samseva and, and where does the name Samseva come from? Ah, yes. Well, Samseva, it, for one, is a, a what we call a focus ministry, meaning it's out of that uh, setting of a church. And so my ministry is out in the world, so I'm actually on the road all the time. Oh, wow. Uh, I travel to California a couple times a month right now, Santa Fe a couple times a month. Uh, and so it's kind of like church outside of a box, if you will. It's okay. like it's like it's not uh, a church, uh, but it's like people who have a calling to uh, offer the teaching in a way that that is not like show up for a Sunday service. Although a lot of my work right now is with centers, uh, and I end up leading the Sunday service. Right, <laughs> But what does that mean to offer teaching? I mean, mm. in different places, how do you get to offer teaching? Yeah, well, I go in and teach classes for one, and also in the Sunday service, our uh, philosophy, as we call it, has always been a teaching philosophy more than a preaching philosophy. So it's like really teaching principles. It's very it's like a practical spirituality. How do you apply spiritual principles in your life? And what are you know spiritual principles? What are some? Are there some ways? that life works in the same way that there are physical principles, scientific laws, are there spiritual principles that if you align your life with them, like a law of reciprocity, like how you are to life is how life will be back to you, uh, would be one of the ones that we teach. That's that's one of the ones we teach. I find it to be very true, yes. Because don't bad things happen to good people very often? yes. But then how is that if you're – the way that you treat life, life treats you back. Don't good people often get really bad things from life? Yes, as we all do, right? Um, and, at, and at the same time, uh, what's the tendency, though? So if you show up constantly as a person who's bringing love and peace, you're probably going to be experiencing a lot of harmony in your life. If you're a person who constantly shows up bringing chaos, right, or bringing drama, life is probably going to reflect that back to you as well. But it doesn't mean you're immune from any of the ups and downs of life necessarily. Because that sounded slightly karmic also, mm. you know, the not not comic, but karmic in terms right. of karma, what, you know, but I, I struggle hearing this. I struggle with the idea that, yes, if you are a person who brings peace and harmony, but sometimes you have to... Um, you have to push in order to create that peace and harmony. So, so there's a sort of a, a tension, a dichotomy here. 
but also that there can be people who just do nothing wrong, who just go through their lives and are, their bodies are riddled with diseases and things like that. So it's not that, that there's a harmony or disharmony. It's just sometimes really bad things happen to good people. Yes, they? yes. And uh, one of the things that we would look at is, is that really ultimately all things work together for good and that we're on a path, right? We're on a path. And sometimes we don't know uh, how that thing is working for our good, but by knowing that it is working for our good, that becomes part of our path, right? So like the Buddhists say, everything can be used toward our enlightenment uh, or in the Bible where it says all things work together for good, essentially. So uh, this path, is it pre-laid for us or do we have to make our own path? There's a lot of, there's a lot of responsibility on the person to to. to you know, we've got the principles, but then you've got to practice, right? You've got to right. be in your own meditation, in your own prayer, and you're discovering. It's a process of discovery, right? It's There's not uh, a, a prescribed – there are some – um, examples, for example, of particular practices one can do. But ultimately, there's a lot of responsibility in the individual to unfold in their path and discover themselves, discover their divinity, discover what this life is. What happens if, we're, I guess we're coming back to the individuality and individualism question, what happens if one person's path uh, dissects another person's path or brushes another person's path into a negative direction. Uh, is there such a thing as a negative direction? I'm, because I'm not sure when you are saying all things work together for good, you know, um, different people have different paths. And sometimes one person can knock someone off path. Yes. Is there an off path? Is it a, can you? Uh, I think in, in a human sense, I think, yes, in right. a human sense, we have that experience in a greater, bigger divine sense. No. And I, and I love the story of Joseph in in Exodus in in the Bible in Genesis or, or Genesis rather in the Bible, uh, where he, uh, no matter what happens, it's like he, his his phrase is one phrase: "You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good." Right, right, and and that I think is very descriptive of all things working together for good. Because yes. Things happen. People, we bump up against each other all the time. We impact each other all the time. But ultimately, not, we would say no one has power over you. Nothing has power over your good, as as Joseph discovered when his brothers came and said, oh, no, we're in trouble now. Right. We've got to ask Joseph for the food. And Joseph said, no. That's that's look, we'll, we'll need to take a, a break. But that's a really interesting stopping point in terms of trying to understand what it means for you that all things work together for good. Um, so we're going to come back to that after our break, if that's OK. All right. So you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil from Temple Beth Shalom. And my guest this evening is Reverend Gregory Toole, ordained minister with Centers for Spiritual Living and also the founder and spiritual director of Samseva. And we'll be back after this break. Welcome back. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Reverend Gregory Toole uh, from the Centers for Spiritual Living, currently serving as the Interim Minister at the Santa Fe Center for Spiritual Living. And before the break, we were talking about differing paths. And, and you mentioned Joseph, um, the idea that everything works out for the good. Coming back to that story before we move on. The difference, I guess, with Joseph is that um, the biblical belief of there is a plan. Mm -hmm. 
Um, how I guess I guess maybe what's challenging me in hearing what you're saying, and I say challenge in a good way. If there is a predetermined plan, it's easy to say it's all for the good. But if we are all carving our own path, how can we say that's? How do we know that's for good, or how do you know that's for good、mm. if we don't know where that path leads? Yes, and I think when I say we're carving our path, we're really discovering our path, right? And so there is、uh, what we would call divine guidance. There is.、Ah. Uh, uh, a connection to our divinity. There's a connection to this infinite wisdom and intelligence that's within us. And one of the ultimate practices for us would be surrender, right? There's, there's, there's、uh, what we call, many of us would call kingdoms of consciousness, right? The first one being where you come and you just think you're a victim and life is just tossing you around. The second one being where you have dominion, right? And you say,、mm. "Oh, I am helping to create my life." And the next one would be surrender, where you're really. Stepping into this place where you say, "I let go," and it's kind of like a "Thy will be done" kind of thing, where、uh, we recognize that there's there's an intelligence and a power that we're tapping into、uh, that that is guiding us along this path. So that's more ultimate. And then the, the final kingdom we would call more the, the kingdom of oneness, where where you're not, it's not you don't even see any separation between yourself and God, and so you're just really. Allowing yourself to be the divinity that you are, and most of us only touch that briefly, have brief moments of touching that. And that's very helpful because that, that's the missing piece for me when you're talking about that divine guidance.、Mm. Um, because I, I couldn't quite understand the two, but actually you've, you've woven that together really nicely. And that this talk of the the kingdoms of consciousness—that's a really interesting spiritual idea.、Mm. Um, the development of self, almost. I, I, I find that fascinating. There seems to be a thread in in your work,、um, particularly when you were talking about a world that works for everyone, talking about peace in general.、Um, and in order for a world to work for everyone, there has to be a lot of healing, a lot of reconciliation. You know, we live in divided times. I don't know if we've ever not lived in divided times, but it seems even in this country particularly divided. What does peace and reconciliation mean to you? Mm-hmm. I think for one that we can coexist with each other without violence. That would be one that 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 you can be different from me, or you can have different points of view from me, and I don't even have to dislike you for that, right? Not you particularly, but、sure. but each other. We can have different points of view. We can see the world very differently,、sure. and that doesn't mean doesn't even mean I have to think you're wrong, right? You know, sometimes we get so attached to our opinions that we actually think our because it's my opinion, then it's right,、mm-hmm. and I, therefore I must defend it at all cost. And for me, it's like, can we take ourselves a little bit less seriously? Can we lighten up a little bit and say, this is just my opinion? It may not even be correct. It may not even be. There may be a higher opinion. There may be a higher truth. But this is how I can see the world right now. So for me, it's. Really, a stepping back. It's, it, there's a curiosity aspect, rather than seeing、uh, an opposing point of view or a differing point of view as a threat. It's more like, oh, I am getting more curious now because you see the world so differently from me. Tell me more about how you see the world, as opposed to now I have to defend my point of view. You mentioned a higher truth. 
Is there a higher truth? I have to ask that question of you then. Is there a higher truth? To, I mean, if we have our own truths, mm-hmm. but is there a universal truth in any way? Is, is when we look at the world around us, are some things universally true or is it all back to our relative path? And I guess part of this touches on the, that question of divine guidance again. Mm-hmm. So, so for you, is there, is there an, an absolute truth or is there a higher truth? I think there's always a higher truth, uh, but I don't think it's necessarily one truth. It's I think there's I think no matter uh, you know I think God is infinite, right? So so there's always higher higher truth. Like like we're evolving into seeing higher and higher truth. So I think there's always a higher truth, and I think uh, sometimes our where we get tripped up is uh, we think of. Uh, what's higher or what's truth or what's good or what's bad as what's humanly convenient. Right. And if it's not humanly convenient, right, if I lose my friend, if my friend dies, that's not hu- that's very painful. It's not humanly convenient. It's hard for me to see that there might be a higher truth here, that there might be some greater good. Maybe that, you know, this. how do I know what some other person's the path of their soul is, how long they're supposed to be here, right? But, right, but it's inconvenient right. for me because my friend is now gone. And to me, my friend was supposed to live till at least 80 or 90 or whatever. I, I guess one of the – I hear what you're saying about inconvenient. One of the things that comes to me from there is about rights, that people can disagree and and take on that curiosity. Wow, you hear – you, you see the world very differently to me. Let me learn how and why. The problem is when people see the world so differently that it affects each other's rights. Yes. I, I see that you are mistaken or I believe that you are mistaken. Therefore, you should not be allowed to do this yes. um, or, or I must be allowed to do this where you may not be and so on. So I wonder if that's, uh, if that's a barrier almost to peace and reconciliation that – on a on a basic level, it's possible to learn that curiosity, but when it gets to the messiness of human rights and how to create society, yes, things get trickier, don't they? Because somebody has to help decide the law. Yes, and I often think in terms of values because that really, for me, uh, it cuts through a lot of things. Because as human beings, almost anywhere in the world. At a core level, I find our values are the same. The way we express our values often is very different, and the way we see solutions to things is Mm. often very different. But for most people, as human beings, freedom is like a core value. Peace is like a core value. Love is like a core value. Human dignity is a core value. Uh, Pretty much anywhere I've gone in the world, those core values as human beings underlie everything, but how we express those is different. So for me, if if you're um, treading on the dignity of another human being, that would be a universal principle, right? That would be something, no, that's not like, I'm not like, oh, just tell me more about your values, right? right? right. I, I, there was one time when I was leading a center and in California and we were going to uh, we had the opportunity to share space with a with a synagogue, with the Jewish community. And someone came to me and said, well, what if there's someone in our community that has an issue with Jewish people? Oh. Well, there's no discussion. 
because that would be not in alignment with any principle, uh, you know, that we would subscribe to. Right. So that's not even a conversation. Like, that's not like, oh, tell me more. Right, right. Got you. Got you. <laughs> I, it's all very interesting because there seems to be, you know, I'm, I'm hearing uh, differing theology and interesting underlying theology here. In some of your work about peace and reconciliation, when you're talking about freedom and peace and love and talking about the spiritual guidance and so on, it seems like to me there's a, a sort of underlying theological position that God, however God is understood, is not in conflict but it, but exists in peace, mm. that God supports peace and so on. And it, it makes me think of some cultures, even, you know, in the Bible, um, where the book of Exodus, um, God is described as Ish Milchamar, as a warrior, you know, God, God who fights for justice and so on. Where is God theologically for you? Is God in the calm peace or is God in the wrestling struggle or, or both or neither? Mm-hmm. I would go as far as to say that God is peace. Ah. And I would go as far as to say that God is love. In fact, I would say that's a synonym for God is love. Uh, and I would say that everything else is our getting to love. Everything else is, is us getting to God. Everything else is us getting to our divinity. So, yes, in human experience, we wrestle with a lot of things, right? But But to me, God is unchanging. God is just sitting there in bliss, in peace, in love, and kind of calling us into that, like calling us to step further into that, right? But no, to me, uh, in our, and I think in, I would say in our philosophy, God's not wrestling with any of this. God is this unchangeless, blissful state that, that when we, in the kingdoms of consciousness I described, yeah. when we step into that fourth kingdom of oneness, then that's where we are. But most of the time, we're not there. Maybe uh, we can get to kingdom three more often where we're in surrender. But even there, in our humanness, we often want to control things. So the surrender piece might be something that only happens sometimes. But that's sort of the path. It's like, how can I step more into who I truly am as a divine expression of the infinite or of God or of spirit? In the last couple of minutes, I, uh, I read something a few weeks ago. Um, from a, a rabbi who said that um, that heaven sounds dull <laughs> and they'd rather live on earth because in heaven there's no atonement, there's no making mistakes, there's no struggle. It's a very Jewish perspective um, that there is no struggle. I mean, you're talking about bliss and living in bliss and everyone enjoys bliss, but um, but it's the idea of, of permanently living in bliss slightly makes me uncomfortable ah. and i and i wonder what because it's not human you know what i mean and and maybe i'm speaking a lot about myself here um but isn't the human experience the struggle or or, or is it the struggle to escape the struggle in order to get to the state of bliss mm-hmm. what what is it for you Yes, I, I don't. Ernest Holmes, our philosopher, said the the world has learned enough from suffering. <laughs> That's an interesting way to look at it, right? And and I love that because we think we we've bought into this idea that we have to suffer and we have to struggle and we have to strain and this is this is. The, this is good. And is it true? That's that's the question. Is that really true? And I have found that it's not really true. Although, 
the path often involves a lot of that, and the right. struggle and the strain often takes us places further along the path than comfort would. So it can be part of the path, but it's not something we have to try to preserve. Gotcha. I think that's a lovely place for us to pause because that's a really lovely message in terms of the fact that we're on the path and on the journey, which may involve cutting down the weeds and the, the things that get in our way, which is struggle, but that's don't always live necessarily on that in that struggle. I think that's that's fascinating. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. So um, thank you to uh, Reverend Gregory Toole, founder and spiritual director of Somseva, also the interim minister at Santa Fe Center for Spiritual Living. It really has been wonderful having you here. This has been a really interesting conversation. I do hope that you'll be able to come back sometime when you're next in Santa Fe and, and we can have continue this conversation. Thank you, Rabbi Neil. It's been wonderful, delightful. I love your questions. <laughs> thank you. So you've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching. <laughs>